3: your perfect home, sweet home.
1: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ, Bucky, together. Uh, Buck, have you had a chance to rest and kind of recover a little bit? Uh, the draft is a little bit in the rearview mirror now. If you had any, uh, any time to kind of, I don't know, just kind of get back to normal a little bit?
4: okay so dj i am not one to really like uh get into this conversation but we're gonna have the conversation because the weekend yep. i didn't know but the padres and the dodgers oh, were playing, and oh, so man. it was brought to my attention on friday after the padres won that they decided to do the crying kershaw meme and put it on the jumbotron now yep. i am not one to like condone that kind of behavior but i was like really is this what we're doing? So on Saturday on my radio show, we then had to talk about the crying Kershaw meme that I didn't know was a meme. When did they catch Kershaw crying? And why would the Patriots put that up on the Jumbotron?
0: And then I noticed they didn't win another game the rest of the season. So a couple things here. Couple, I'm glad you brought this up. Is the elephant in the room in our relationship. So the, uh, <laughs> that, that meme came from when we knocked the Dodgers out of the playoffs last year and he was watching us celebrate on the field. So that's where the, that's where the meme came from. Um the second part of that is I'm amazed at the uh at how offended the classy Dodger fans are. <laughs> they threw they literally threw an inflatable steroid <laughs> bottle onto the field uh when they played the Padres last year. So I don't know. Spare me. Spare me the, uh, the, uh, how offended we all are. <laughs> oh, and then this packet, the next thing was, was
4: the next thing was, like...
0: Buck. how I went to, I went to the second game in the series to explain this to me. This is why baseball is so infuriating to me in the last, in the last two games. First of all, Darvish wins the first night, gives up one earned run. Snell gave up one hit and lost. Joe Musgrove gave up two hits and lost. Mookie Betts and James Altman were 0 for 19. Going into the ninth inning of that game, and Mookie gets one, and then Outman gets one. I'm like, baseball is the weirdest thing ever. We we had two outs, we're one out away from winning two out of three. I'm gonna come on here, and I'm yeah, I'm gonna be I unbearable. Know, I know. That's probably why it happened. It's probably because that the universe knew that I would be just I, you couldn't deal with me if they'd have won that I, game. So
4: because it, it, it snuck up on me, and then it was a Sunday night game, and then I did see Tatis had a great catch in. Uh, He's, oh, yeah. he's playing right field now. Like that's what we're uh, gonna taking our best guy. We're just going to park oh, him oh, in oh. right field where they park the, the minimum, the minimum play person in baseball in little league. You just put anybody
0: right here. That's where we're putting Tatis. He All just right. goes to right field. Who's the best player on the Dodgers, Buck? <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where's Mookie play again? What, what position? He plays everywhere.
4: Best? He <laughs> plays everywhere. He plays everywhere.
0: He plays right field. Uh, so <laughs> best player in Padre history mr Padre Tony Gwen right field's a special place man I, I you got to get this little league mentality out of your head here. <laughs> get rid go, of that little league mentality go, we' go park him out there and him oh you should to see I was away. going back and forth all these Dodger fans man like oh you know you can imagine money's just having so much fun with me wearing <laughs> me out in a group in a group chat and uh and one of them one guy hit me up a buddy hit me up and he was like hey you know, you guys win a playoff game, you know, playoff series for the first time in twenty-five years, and you guys act like you you've done something now. And I'm like, hey, we've only been financially competing for three years. Okay. I'm not counting the previous twenty-two when you guys had like hundred and fifty million more on your payroll than we did. So we're 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 three <laughs> years into this competition right now. That's I'm not going back any further than that. Anyways, enough baseball. Sorry, That's money. ridiculous. I was I literally I literally told my wife last night, we'll get to the football here in a second. I was like, I'm taking a week off. She's like, What? I'm like. I can't watch these games. I'm like, why? Why do I care? Why am I getting so mad watching a baseball game? Why? Am I, why I, do I care so much? I've I've told you that you're peaking too soon.
4: Like we're just in the beginning of May. There are oh, 162 games,
0: and you I mean, are like
4: Soto sucks. Your can
0: he hit? Can he please start hitting at some point in time? And I can
4: always tell when you're going to it because like. You, you quit <sighs> tweeting for a little bit, like you have a couple of days where you don't say see anything about the dark they, place. I know, I know then they, place. and then win a few, and then you're back. And I'm just like, man, he's he's gonna wear himself out. Just the emotional
0: roller coaster that you're on. I got to take a break. I got I told you I said I got to take a break. Got to take a week off, put myself in the hole for for a week, and then I'll come back and jump back in. I so it's not just anymore. you.
4: It's not you. It's my producer on my Saturday show on Fox is uh, Brandon Trufa is a Padres fan. And okay. it's funny because like he'll come in, you know, But all of a sudden when they're winning, man, it's all brown stuff. It's all Padres. It's all this. It's all that. Then Saturday he was fully charged up, ready to go.
0: You know, it's funny. Funny. Give up. How do you lose a game when your starting pitchers give up a combined three hits in two games? Well, I lose mean both of them. Think- I mean the Dodgers are a
4: beer league softball team. They just wait for the de- the bases get loaded up then they try and hit home runs. It's not like they're doing what all the other teams are doing running around and stealing bases and manufacturing
0: yeah. runs. It's you know, it's beer league The only league thing I'll say, the only thing I'll say is Dodgers took two out of three, had to golf clap whatever you want to call it. But that this Dodgers team does not look like the previous Dodger teams that would come in there and steamroll us yeah. with the with all the, th- yeah, with gosh, the with all the th- th- thunder in their it's, it's, lineup, I mean it's just two one games. So one game.
4: Just just just, just getting be- get better, get better at the end. Just get uh, better at the uh, end. There's a trade we'll somewhere
0: be to be made, something like that. I will be fine. Um, all right, for the remainder of this podcast, we can talk about football, and I can try and get myself back <laughs> together. Um, we're gonna we're gonna dig into uh, a couple topics here. One you hit on uh, in your in your uh, scouting notebook, talking about the traits obsessed. Colts uh we we get a little touch on it in the last episode but you did a deeper dive on it here in the notebooks we're going to hit on that and then uh I went through had fun just kind of going through the depth charts which is always a good thing to do after the draft just to get a sense of what the teams look like and I tried to find you know an addition from the draft that adds to an already loaded position group so I picked one team per division that I thought really added strength to strength um so we'll go through those uh in just a little bit first of all buck give me the um Uh, The premise here for your piece and your uh, your homework that you did here on the Colts.
4: Okay, so it's it's funny, DJ, like now that everything is done when it comes to the draft, a lot of the opinions and stuff that we we kind of put out there, like it's kind of hard because you don't know where a player is going to land. And so a lot of this premise came from the conversation that we had last week where we talked about Anthony Richardson and Giannis and how the comparison between him and Giannis in terms of, hey, this is more like an NBA draft. For the Colts in terms of where you're looking at traits, you're looking at potential more than the production and what they did in college. This is we want to take the best athlete with the best natural talent and we can teach them the skills to play at a higher level. This is what they do in the NBA all the time. When you look in the playoffs, you look at. The guys behind the bench, everybody has all these skill development coaches. You have a shooting coach. You have a ball handling coach. You have a coach that works on the footwork when it comes to your post players, etc. Well, the National Football League, we never really thought about operating like that. But now when you look at NFL staffs, they have more coaches than they've ever had. You always have a position coach, then an assistant to the position coach. Sometimes you have an assistant to the position coach and then you have a specialist. So like you may have a pass rush specialist to develop a pass rusher. So in thinking about what the Colts have done the last couple of years, they've drafted these great athletes. Like I mean just guys that are at the top of the charts based on the Next Gen stat stuff, like their their potential score, their athleticism score and all that. And then you think about the coaches that they have on their staff. So you think about Gus Bradley, you've seen and been around Gus with the Chargers. He is one of the best teachers when it comes to it. The system is very simple. So now you spend all your time refining the footwork and the fundamentals of how to play the game. That's the whole beauty of being simple. Now you spend more of your time on fundamentals. Then you think about what Shane Steichen has done. You saw what he did with Justin Herbert. We saw what he did with Jalen Hurts. I would say that it appears that the system is kind of simple for the quarterback, but it allows them to grow and develop. Well, just imagine if you take all these great athletes and you put them in a developmental system that teaches them learn skills where they can get better. How good could that team be if everyone in the organization is on board? And so now in thinking about what the Colts are doing, you begin to look at Anthony Richardson as kind of like the ultimate experiment to this theory. How great can you take someone who in college, look, the numbers aren't great, but when you look at the athleticism off the charts? I mean, off the charts in terms of superhero type athleticism that he brings to the table. Well, if you put him with a great quarterback coach who can put a system that plays to his strengths, how good can he be? And so now I'm curious and I'm fascinated by how this might work because years ago, when we looked in the NBA, Giannis, uh, Kawhi Leonard coming out of San Diego State was a great traits. Russell Westbrook coming out UCLA was all traits. Even think about a guy like, Devin Booker, all traits, didn't play much, but now you look at him with the Suns. He is absolutely killing it. So I am fascinated by if the Colts are able to pull this off, does this completely change the way that we talk about scouting going forward? Not that it hasn't been done before, but to go all in like they've done, I think they could be on the something that, I won't say revolutionize the scouting community, but certainly seeing some ripples through the scout community that you need to pay attention to what uh, is going on in Indianapolis.
0: Yeah. I I mean, and you went through the list of guys, I mean, all the way down to the end, I'm pulling up their, their depth chart right here. Like Jake Witt, their seventh round pick was a workout warrior. So if you look at, if you just look at the workout numbers of Blake Freeland and Jake Witt, that's their fourth round pick and their seventh round pick. Um, Those might be the two most athletic in terms of testing, Offensive tackles in the entire draft. Um, so it wasn't even just Anthony Richardson with their first pick all the way through. Atabare, you know, was an all time workout mm-hmm. at the combine, the D lineman. Juju Brentz, um, we talked about his jumps, and you mentioned it in a piece, you know, ridiculous. Daniel Scott had an unbelievable combine. Darius Rush ran in the four threes. So uh, adding those secondary pieces. And then I started looking back through the rest of their roster. Even like you look at some of the guys that they have, DeForest Buckner is a physical freak. Like how big he is, how long he is. Deo Odiangbo, who they got, who was coming off of an injury coming out of college. He is one of the I think he's like 36-inch arms. Uh so just athletic length traits. Quiddy Pay tested out, you know, out the gym. Uh they brought over Ebu Kam. I'd have to pull up his workout numbers, but I think he was blazing mm-hmm. fast. Uh, you know, Shaq Leonard you know, coming out in terms of the length as an off-the-ball linebacker was unusually long. Um it, it just it goes all the way through kind of their whole group. It's not just, you know, this draft. This was the explosion of it. This was just the sheer numbers from start to finish. But they've built an entire roster there. Now the 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 other side of it is I always go back and we talk about how the, the evolution of things and how this is the mm-hmm. way the is doing it. The two things I would say that would be um Maybe, maybe let's be a little bit patient to see how it all works out. The two points I would make. Number one is the limited time that you get with these guys compared to what you did years ago. So you got to be really efficient with your time on the grass. You got to be really efficient because you just don't have simply as much time in the off season or in season for those guys to develop. So you got to have excellent teachers who know how to not only teach but set the schedule so that they're maximizing their time on the grass. Mm-hmm. That'd be the first. And the second thing is, and we've talked about this for years, I always go back to the training that I had in Baltimore where we talked about the STI, and we said, okay, speed, toughness, instincts. If you look, you mm-hmm. know, it's been a long track record. If you get a fast team that's also tough, that also is very instinctive, those are the best teams. So they've added all these traits. They've added all the size, speed, length, athleticism, the T, the T and the I are the two things that I'm curious about, Buck, is do those guys also possess the toughness that you need? And are they also instinctive enough uh, to be successful? That would be my my counter argument to this whole thing.
4: And look, and I, th- I think that's a great argument because the one thing that you can't teach, you can't necessarily teach instincts. You can teach somebody what they should be looking for. It's another thing for them to see it and trigger like they're supposed to. And so, The instincts, that's something that I don't know if you can give someone who's a great athlete, those instincts. We've talked about it. We've talked about looking at linebackers who are always a step late, but sometimes Mm -hmm. their athleticism can make up for it. And so, yes, maybe that can cut the margin down if they're not as instinctive. But the toughness is a big part of it. Now, how Shane Steichen, how the Colts score about building a tough team, are they in pads more? Are they more physical Uh, than some teams when it comes to it. Like as much as people talk about Andy Reid and they love the X's and O's, if you ask anyone who has been around him, he runs one of the more physical training camps that you can find. You saw it when you worked with him in Philadelphia. In training camp, they slobber knock. They get after it, you know? And so that physicality, that stuff is something that you have to have. But to me, at a time where we're seeing it's harder – now more than ever to evaluate guys because the college systems are so different in some of the game and the pros, you have to be able to try and figure out what is my lane going to be? Are we going to be more collegiate in terms of how we play? Or are we going to be a developmental program that can take these players who may not have been given all the skills that we would want in college and find a way to build them up so they can play at a higher level? Um, to me, it's something where It has always been talked about when I was in Green Bay and I worked for guys that worked under Ron Wolfe in Seattle. John Snyder's and Scott McLuhan's and even Scott Fitter's of the world. Everyone has always been on prototypes. But to me, this is kind of like an even different prototypical thing because the Seattle Seahawks have done it. They had their developmental plan. When Dan Quinn went to Atlanta, he had a thing called Plan D, which is plan development, where what they did is 10 minutes after practice every day they would take all those young guys and spend 10 minutes on the grass working on fundamentals. And every day would be something different. But if you kind of extrapolate those minutes over time, so you have four practices a week, so that's 40 extra minutes. You add that, multiply that times 16, 17 weeks in the season, all of that extra time those reps may allow you to play at a higher level when it's time for those guys to play. Yeah, but I think it has to be a concerted effort from everyone. And to me, when I'm hearing from the Colts is Chris Ballard is at the top. The owner understands it because you've heard him talk about Anthony Richardson and how he needs to play right away. Well, if that is the case, and if everyone is in agreement, now we're not looking at results. We're focused on the process with a desire to get the results down the line. Well, if everybody's in agreement, this kind of unlocks a lot of different things when it comes to playing and those things. Because DJ, we always talked about, well, we didn't want to play the young guy because you worried. How can I win games with a young guy playing through mistakes? But if everyone is like, oh, no, we're putting all the young guys out there, not just Anthony Richardson, we're putting them out there and we're going to live through the rough moments because we'll be better when we get to the other side. Well, now that's a completely different approach than what we're used to seeing.
0: I think you made a great point, too, when you said the simplification of the scheme. So we can spend – if you look at our time like a pie chart on the field, most NFL teams – there's going to be, what do you think, 15% of the time spent on fundamentals and 85% oh, yeah. of the time on game plan, scheme, assignment, you know, alignment, all mm-hmm. that stuff. I think when you can simplify things, maybe if you could take that 15%, maybe get it to 30%, maybe 40% where you are drilling fundamentals. We're teaching these guys how to play football and, and then not having to devote quite as much time to teaching them how to learn and think and, and, and react to what we're trying to put on their plate from a scheme standpoint.
4: It is. And so here's the funny thing about that. If you go back and you study the great NFL coaches in our in our past, right? Like talking about the greatest of all time. When you look at the Don Shulers of the world, the Vince Lombardi's of the world, the Chuck Knowles of the world, all of them say the same thing. It's about your fundamentals. It's about that mm-hmm. part more so than anything. It's fundamentals. It's your conditioning. It's simplified scheme and it's repetition over and over and over. Whenever Chuck Knowles and those guys lost, they would come back the last week. The next week and do less, not more. Mm -hmm. And so if the great coaches of the world that have told you, look, this is how you win a ton of games in this league, tell you that it's about the fundamentals and simplification. Maybe this is almost like a turn back the clock moment where you're saying, hey, we're going to be simple. We're going to be detailed. We're not going to fool people. We're going to work on execution and developing our players better than you do. So over
0: time, we'll just play the game better than you. Yep. Uh, I think it's really fascinating. And you know, look on the other side of the ball, the offensive side of the ball. We talked about that defense. Jonathan Taylor, obviously, one of the premier backs was a 4 3 guy coming out. Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman, you referenced that in the piece. Those are power forwards. Like, if you're going with the get off the bus team, I mean, when you take Buckner and Odangbo and you take these big receivers and the tight end, Jelani Woods, like, these guys get off the bus. I don't know that there's what do you think? I, they've got to be top five in terms of the league of just yeah. the most physically impressive teams as they get off the bus.
4: And so you're now putting it on the coaches. And so I, I, I said this and, and you know it. Like one of the things that you do in scouting is not only scouting players, you got to scout the coaches. So yeah. if you're Chris Ballard, when you're putting all this together, you want to make sure that you have the right staff to do it. Now, I'll say this, and I know this from a former Colts coach, coach who knows Ballard well. Chris Ballard was always fascinated by Rod Marinelli from their time mm-hmm. together in Dallas. He loved the way that Rod N- Marinelli, it was either Dallas or Chicago. Chicago. Was Chicago. It was Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. He loved the way that they developed players on that side of the ball. So let's go back to who was on those teams in Chicago. Remember, they had Lance Briggs and Erlacher. I think Julius Peppers were there. And you remember the great nice. defense <laughs> that they played, all traits, yeah. right? And yeah. so his perfect world was, man, let me get the super athletes. Let me find coaches that are able to take these guys, put them in a scheme and develop them and how good we could be. And so I think for Ballard, some of that may have started working with and around Lovey Smith, And Marinelli and those guys and seeing how successful it was for them, but wanting to take it to another level where you just have a team full of super athletes and you have a coaching staff full of great teachers that are able to take those guys, develop them and max out their talent.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really fascinating case study and we'll see how it all goes. Now, they need the trigger man to uh, to develop, you know, on on a pretty good clip. In a hurry. He's got to get going. He's got to get going because that's going to make the rest of this whole thing go.
4: Have you seen any of the clips from this weekend? And I know it's just no, on air.
0: I have. I have but, not. But I will say this, like, and I wasn't the
4: biggest Anthony Richardson fan in terms of the first round, but that's in the past. Now he's there. But DJ, so, when you see him, man, he throws it like a different dude now. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's it's different. They talk about yeah. him. The other thing that I will say, his, his early appearances in press conference, he said all the right stuff. And I know mm-hmm. when you talk to people that talked about the meetings that... Uh, Look, he was very impressive as from a football character standpoint, him and Josh Downs throwing balls in the parking lot, uh, before their first practice says a lot. If he's the kind of worker that is required, like a Jalen Hurts kind of worker, yeah, this could work out, but it's all on him and how much he's willing to put in. But I will say, uh, he's off to a good start when you see the clips and how he's throwing it and how the connection that he has with some of those guys. Who knows? It might work out for them.
0: Yeah and what we said that you know during the whole run up to the draft the whole thing with him is we don't dispute the talent um, now it comes down to if you look at the guys with the talent, and you start throwing in the the Jalen Hurts, the Mahomes, the Josh Allen's, the guys who have then developed further along at the NFL level, it's because they had the combination of the work ethic and the intelligence. We've heard good things about Anthony Richardson from both those you know both those mm-hmm. areas of his game, but you don't know you don't know until you know. Like you got to get him out there and see how that comes along, and the work ethic and the intelligence has a chance to shine. If he has those two things, like those other guys do, I mean. Watch out. It is, yeah, watch out. And then it becomes all those things. Giannis and Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard and how all those guys have been able to dominate the NBA level. Yeah, think about this as we're going to take a break here in a second and we'll, we'll uh, get this other topic. But this draft, when you think about it, when we look back on it, Buck, this draft featured the most unassuming quarterback, maybe in first round history in Bryce Young, yeah. undersized, yeah. narrow, you know, but instincts, intelligence off the charts with all that stuff versus maybe the most physically gifted and talented quarterback we've ever seen in the first round. One goes one, one goes four. I mean, you couldn't get any more polar opposite than these two guys. It's going to be fascinating to see how they develop. It is, and it would be another great study for us when it comes to quarterbacks, like what we're really looking for.
4: Because, Mm -hmm. man, if Anthony Richardson pops, (laughs) you're talking about completely upsetting the apple cart uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, I mean, it's it's bananas, and so, um, man, all these things are great. So it'd be great to watch. It'd be great
0: to watch them over the course of the preseason and in the regular season, no doubt. Uh, all right, take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll jump into some of these position groups that are absolutely stacked. Uh, by division, we'll do that right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring
1: Offer valid on select AK systems through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
3: perfect home sweet home all right
0: buck so here's what i did uh i just went through division by division and i tried to find one position group um, that just jumped out in terms of adding strength to strength and i figure we'll start here on the afc and just want to get your thoughts on kind of what these groups look like and and why it makes sense with what they did so if we start in the afc east I gave consideration to a couple. I mean, uh, you know, Kincaid joining Knox is interesting, you know, pairing there, the tight end room in Buffalo. You think about Miami and their running back room, just with the sheer speed they have with Mostert, Jeff Wilson, and now A Chain jumping in the mix. Like, that's an intriguing one. I ended up going with the Jets with their edge rushers just because mm-hmm. – and you touched on this in your piece. Uh, but when you have Will McDonald, John Franklin Myers, Jermaine Johnson, you've got Bryce Huff, you've got Carl Lawson, you've got Clemens who did some good things. Like, that's, that's six edge rushers that they've got. That's an, an Alpha, uh, uh, a Bravo, and uh, what do they call the uh, – a Charlie, I guess, is what – The Cobra. Is the, yeah, I mean, they've got three, three full groups they can roll through there now. You know, DJ, Like, so it's always funny,
4: right? Because we always get asked to grade drafts and do all this other stuff. And it's not until, one, you come out of it and you begin to listen to the pressers where you hear the coaches and the GM express the plan. Here's what the plan is for McDonald. And so to hear Joe D and hear Robert Sala talk about why Will McDonald was the pick and how they were saying, oh, man, we felt like he was the best passer in the draft in terms of his explosiveness and what he brought to the table and how we will bring him into the rotation. Like, yeah, he needs to be better at first and second down. But this was about waves, waves of rushers. This also, to me, when it comes to the Jets, we talk about team building. Well, when you get Aaron Rodgers and you're looking at it from an optimistic standpoint, you're thinking, well, we're going to score a ton of points. We're going to score points and we're going to make people chase points. So, yeah, people – They can say they're going to run the ball at you, but you can't run at us when you're down 14 points. So what we're going to do is now we're going to load up on pass rushes like the Eagles were able to do. And we're going to hunt when it's obvious passing downs. And so I love it from that standpoint. And if the offense clicks like it could click with Aaron Rodgers and the young wide receivers that they have, well, now we'll look back and they'll say, man, the Jets were genius to take another pass rusher who has the ability to just. Heat them up because remember, they don't want to blitz. They want to rush with four. And so to rush you with four, man, you got to have a lot of bodies that are coming every other down to continue to keep that that pass rush pace at a high level. So it could work.
0: And but you're right. They are loaded. They're loaded outside at the edge. rusher spots. And one of the things you saw with him, which we saw with the Georgia guys, uh, we've seen it with the Georgia guys the last couple of years, but scheme wise, I mean, you could, you would know this better than I would, but it's curious to me, like how many of these college schemes they play with, like a four eye, where you've got an undersized edge rusher, but he's playing on the inside shoulder of the tackle. Like, and I think Solly even said it, like, hey, when he made the draft call, he's said, hey, man, we're going to get you out of that four eye. We're going to loosen you up, get you out in that wide nine and cut you loose. So that to me – like we talked about Trayvon Walker was the same thing, all those tight alignments. Like, God, when they let him get out there, you saw some good stuff. You just get a chance to do it all that much. Yeah, so just so you, so
4: everyone understands, the reason why they're putting guys in four eyes, uh, like Iowa State was a really like a 3-3-3 team, like a 3-3-5 yeah. team. They played like a three safety look, and they would put their defensive ends on the inside eyes of the offensive tackles. And the reason why is because they want the ball to bounce – to the sideline and then they'll chase it down with their speed and yeah. so you have a guy like will mcdonald which is great in that that he's pinching inside he's diving down inside you're making it run the hump and you're saying we got all these little guys on the field to chase it down we're in the pro mm-hmm. game man you line up in that they're gonna run it down i mean they're gonna absolutely yeah. obliterate you like yeah not there and so it it's required, the outside zone every step yeah. and, and, oh and man they, so so it's going to require. McDonald to make a position change and put him in a wide nine. But you see athletically at 238 pounds, this guy's first step quickness, his burst, his motor, he is going to be a problem for those tackles on those obvious passing downs where they're trying to kick set and get vertical. You're not going to have a chance. And when you have him and Jermaine Johnson and Carl Lawson and all these other guys just coming at you down after down after down, man, it's it's look at the relentlessness from the pass rush unit, this is going to wear you out.
0: Yeah, I think about him and Huff as two guys that can work as closers. That you get 20 snaps, just give them 20 snaps. They have elite, elite get off. Huff is always up there in like the top five in mm-hmm. terms of get off when we look at those numbers every year. And one of the things to think about, you get in that wide nine and you get elite get off. You know what that does? That expands everything for Quentin Williams. And now all of a sudden, Quentin Williams, there's no neighbors in there anymore, man. He's got oh, no, lots of room to operate because that tackle. Knows I gotta get gone. Get out. If I don't get, get, if I don't, if I don't get out, it's a problem.
4: And so now you are right. You're creating one on one for Quentin Williams to be able to w- operate two way goals on a, a helpless guard because we've said this. Most teams have an inferior player playing inside, and if they're mm-hmm. able to give Quentin Williams the freedom to operate on the fish, good luck. Long yep. day. Long day. No for doubt. Because he's gonna take a lot no of doubt. shots.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, all right. Let's get to Cincinnati here. I want to get to them in the, in the North. They were the team I came up with. And just looking at the wideouts, when you have Jamar Chase, you have Higgins, you've got Boyd, and they added two guys in this draft with Charlie Jones, who we talked a lot about with his speed, and then yosivash the the, the wideout from, from Princeton, who can really run. He's a track background, mm-hmm. uh, big time athlete. But I thought, and I, you might even have mentioned this on the previous episode, but, you know, Higgins is going to get paid. They're not going to let Higgins go. They've got Jamar Chase. They're going to pay Chase. The odd man out's probably going to be Boyd, who's a good football yep. player. But they need one of those two guys to step into the mix. But now I think, man, that's that's two young guys to add to a really talented uh, trio they already have. Uh, two young guys that can can step in and play. And Charlie Jones is a guy that I'm fascinated
4: by. Are you watching him play at mm-hmm. Purdue, man? He has – look, he's even different than what they have. Because Tyler Boyd is a true chain mover, possession guy. Charlie Jones has juice. His beep, yeah. beep, his right now, he has speed and quickness. And I can just see where you could clear the zone with him and have T. Higgins or Jamar Chase running up underneath. And even though Higgins has the vertical threat on the outside, it's different when you have a slot guy that can kind of take the top off the defense. Uh Jones's speed and stuff is spectacular. And I will give the Cincinnati Bengals credit. I think they do a really good job of drafting and drafting with an eye towards the future. They're one year ahead Of those things, think about last year when they take Dax Hill, and then they lose both of their safeties, Jesse Bates and Von Bill. Well, who slides in? Like they do a really good job of identifying. Here's where we could be weak next year. Let's go ahead and get a player in now so we can groom him for when he has to take a a bigger role in year two. So that, to me, is a smart team building. It's what you should do. And they do Tobin, and that, that that staff has done a really good job of putting it together.
0: Yeah, no, it, I, I'm with you. I think it's it's really a a look towards the future there. Uh, let's keep it going to the AFC Tennessee in their running back room. You've already got Henry. You've got Haskins, who's a physical runner. Like th- those guys pair off each other, you know, quite well. And then Tajay Spears throw him into the mix to that running back group. I think he's an unbelievable player. We talked about it. I didn't mention it by name. We don't ever want to, you know, see anybody drop in the draft. But there was a lot of talk and talking to teams that he could slip a little bit because of a knee. Um, and then, you know, he still went in a pretty good spot. I think it would have gone a little bit higher if he had been clean medically through the whole process. But you cannot debate the fact of his skill set and what he brings to the table. So when you add Tajay Spears to a running back group that that already has, you know, maybe the well, he has been the most productive runner in the league, and Derrick Henry over several years now, and Hassan Haskins. I think that's an interesting position group they've amassed there.
4: Oh, it's a very interesting position. I think it's one that you want to continue to work on. Uh, You want to continue to build that stuff up. And so, to me, it's super smart for them to take that approach. It's super smart for them to do exactly what they've done. And why wouldn't you want to do it? I just, Man, I just love – how like certain teams know their identity, they know who they are. And so when I think about the depth that you have in a big back, then another back that can come in and play physically. And then Tajay Spears, who to me is an every down back, you know, I know mm-hmm. people worry about the, the, the concern, but when you watch him play, to me, he's a three down back and he has a little juice that those other guys don't. Uh, it's going to be a problem. And the Tennessee Titans commit to running the ball like, like they can and like they have. It's going to be a challenge dealing with
0: them. No doubt. Um, all right, let's get to the West. There was actually three teams I was going to mention, and then we'll circle in. We'll settle in on one. But the, the receiving cores of Denver and the Chargers. So Denver was Sutton, Patrick, Judy, Calloway, who has experience in this offense in, in New Orleans. K.J. Hamler, and then then they bring in Mims, who is a player that we both liked mm. coming out of Oklahoma is a good player. Hamler's going to end up getting traded. I, I would I'll bet you mm-hmm. money that he's, you mm-hmm. know, I, I'm guessing he'll probably be gone here by the time we get to the regular season. He'll be the odd man out. But that's a loaded position group. Then the Chargers, they add Johnston from TCU to a group that includes Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, and Jalen Guyton. So those are two teams with stacked receiver rooms. But the one I'm going to settle on here that I'm curious about because of the youth. When you have the Kansas City Chiefs, who already had Joshua Williams, mm-hmm. Jalen Watson, Sneed, McDuffie, they they draft Jamari Connor who can play in that nickel. He's literally going to back up McDuffie as a nickel. Like all these guys are first couple year players, Buck. Like, I don't know if there's a better young position group in the NFL than what Brett Veach has been able to amass in their secondary over a two year period of time. Yeah, DJ, I don't know. And here's the thing. I don't know if you saw some
4: of the stuff that came out where Bear Beach sees Kadarius Tony as a number one receiver and for them to pick him up for a third rounder uh, for yeah. them to say, you know, here's the thing. And I like the transparency. He was like, uh, just because we haven't seen him play and do the vertical stuff and do that, maybe he hasn't played with a quarterback that's like our quarterback that will allow him to expand his game. And so mm-hmm. we've seen him do the, the gadget stuff, the catch and run stuff, the jet sweeps, the reverses and all that. Maybe there's more uh, meat on the bone when it comes to how he can play. And so in our offense with our quarterback, we're going to give him every opportunity. And I wouldn't bet against him because considering what they were able to do with Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill is a, is a freakish talent. But remember, they took him in the fifth round, and I don't think any about it. Uh, we can talk about the character stuff or whatever. I don't know if anyone, when he was getting drafted, thought that he would be a number one wide receiver. And so give mm-hmm. the Chiefs credit for their development and their ability to have an imagination for what he can do. Maybe Kadarius Toney plays that number one and all these other guys fill into these roles that, I mean, let's be honest, they have a ton of playmakers on the thing. How do they put it together? But it's a very deep and talented group. Now it's just a matter of what roles and responsibilities do you give every player so they can be at their best when it comes to their talent?
0: That's one of the things that's a great uh, assignment for us. We can do it on a, on a podcast going forward would be to kind of rank some of these position groups by division. Like if you just looked at the pass catchers in the AFC West, like how would you go one to four? That's we'll save. We'll put a pin in that because that's got we'll, we'll do that in a future mm-hmm. podcast. But That's a fun conversation. Uh, let's get over to the NFC. Uh, a couple in the uh, in the East I thought were fascinating. Uh, when you look at the Dallas linebacker group, I thought that was kind of underrated. When you have LVE, uh, Damone Clark, Jabril Cox, uh, and then Overshone goes into the mix. All big, long kind of body types. Interesting mm-hmm. how they kind of have collected a bunch of these different guys that can all run. Uh, they're all big. They're all long. I thought that was an interesting group. Uh, I ended up going with Philly, though, in their defensive tackles, not the edge rushers. We talk a lot about the edge rushers, and they've got a good group there. Uh, Add Nolan Smith into that mix, but when you've got DTS, it's hard to find talented DTS. And when you've got Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, who look go look up his workout Mm -hmm. numbers coming out, he's a very talented player. Now you drop Jalen Carter into that mix. I don't know. There's a better rotation of defensive tackles in the league.
4: No, I mean let's be honest. They added the best defensive prospect in the draft in Jalen Carter. We can talk about the concerns about the character on and off the field, but. When you turn on the tape and you watch him play, there are not many guys on earth that can walk uh, around and do the stuff that he does on the football field. So now you put him alongside Fletcher Cox. You talked about Milton Williams. You've seen some of the other guys that are in that rotation. Uh, It's a problem to deal with them. And one of the reasons why the Eagles were so successful defensively last year is what Javon Hargraves gave them on the inside. Well, now we're talking about a better prospect than Javon Mm -hmm. Hargraves. He's not a better player yet, but he's a better prospect than Javon Hargraves was coming out. And so you put these guys together, it can be a nightmare in a handful. And we said the best way to to, to pressure quarterbacks is right up the gut because they feel mm-hmm. that pressure immediately. They now have the ability to not only stop the run on early downs, but they can create chaos in the pocket because they have dominant guys on the interior.
0: No doubt, um, it's a, it is a loaded group. Uh, we get to the north. I ended up going with the Packers wide receiver group for for this reason. It's the exact same thing I just said about Kansas City and their DBs. Now you look at Green Bay. This is a two year group. Like these are all first and second year players. Now when you look at Watson, uh, Dobbs, you got uh, Jaden Reed gets drafted, Wicks gets drafted, and Dubose gets drafted. They drafted three wideouts this year after having drafted two last year. Now. I put that down there because it's interesting to me just having all these young players at one position. My question to you, because you've talked about this in the past and we've had this Mm -hmm. discussion, young quarterbacks pairing with veteran-wide receivers seems to be the secret sauce. As they get established, now you can mix in the younger guys. They are going to have, and even though he's been in the league a few years, Jordan Love is a first-year starter with all first- and second-year receivers. I'm curious to see how that works.
4: Yeah, i curious, and normally I would say I wouldn't like it. And the reason why I don't like it is because with a young quarterback, he needs stability and consistency. And when you have veteran receivers, route running is consistent. And so he's going to know when I get to the top of my drop and I throw to this spot, because now you throw the spots instead of throwing the people, I'm going to let it go to the spot and my veteran receiver is going to get there. We have seen the jumps that guys have made when they've had veteran additions come, Josh Allen jumping, significantly when he has Stephon Diggs. Jalen Hurts taking a significant jump when A.J. Brown comes over. It's just something different. The only time we've really seen it work with young players is if there was a history. And so Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they knew each other from LSU. They, They had thrown the ball. There was a chemistry and a connectivity that was already there. Even Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith, chemistry, connectivity. It's just harder for everybody to grow and develop at the same rate That would be the only worry and concern that I would have by the Packers receiver group. All of these guys are learning on the fly, and I don't know how that chemistry is going to be when you have a bunch of young guys. You don't have that old leader that can be the the reliable threat while the young guys are developing as the wide receiver two or the wide receiver three in those roles.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you look at, obviously, with Mahomes coming to the league, having Kelsey already in place, look at Herbert coming to the league, having Keenan Allen and Mike Williams like – a lot of these guys that have popped have had those sure, reliable veteran dudes, man.
4: Trevor Lawrence, watching Trevor yeah. this year with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, guys that have been around the block a few times. He's his game should go up another notch with Calvin Ridley coming on board. There is mm. something about the security of having veteran receivers that you can trust and rely on because it is all about trust, that, that connection between quarterback and pass catcher.
0: Yep. 100%. Uh, all right. The Falcons running back room. Uh, Bijan Robinson joining Algier and Cordell or Patterson. I thought that was an intriguing just with all the different skills you have there. All the different skills. And there's some people
4: that hate this pick. They hate them taking a running back. But when you hear Arthur Smith talk about he's a home run hitter and the way that he can impact the game in so many different areas, you understand why they were so fascinated with Bijan Robinson. But then let's go back and look at Man, I think this is a team that's maybe top five in rushing last year with Tyler Aziers, Cordero Patterson playing that. Look, Man, I don't know. Like, Tred- Cordero Patterson is playing like I wanted him to play when he first entered the league after we did the report at Tennessee. <laughs> he said, he could just uh, He's decided now in his mid-30s that's the player that he's going to become. And, yeah, all those guys bring a uh, different style to the position. But, man, you can just see how Arthur Smith is going to utilize it. It's, I mean, it's going to be a, a nightmare to defend this Falcons offense, despite uh, a young quarterback still trying to find his way, their running game, their running back room is going to be problematic for people to
0: match up with. No doubt. Um, It's going to be a fun group to watch. I'm excited to see how that group kind of comes together. I think it's a good pairing when you have Arthur Smith knows what to do with these guys, too. Um, So I think that'll be fun. Uh, Last one, we'll get out to the West And we could go a couple different groups with Seattle. Obviously, when you bring in JSN and you put him in the mix with Tyler Lockett Mm -hmm. and Metcalf, I think we've talked a lot about that. I came away looking at it, though, kind of more intrigued by the completeness of this running back group. When you throw in Charbonnet and and McIntosh into this mix, Charbonnet, who can be a four-minute back, Mm -hmm. McIntosh, who can really catch the ball out of the backfield, and then you mix them in with Kenneth Walker. Again, all first- and second-year players. Running back's a young man's position. They've got three good young ones.
4: And what I love about this, I feel like Pete Carroll the last two years has been like, you know what, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out doing it my way. It's my way, yeah. I'm going to do it my way. We're going to run the ball. We're going to do play action. I'm going to get back to playing good defense. But running the ball, the thing that has hurt them is since the loss of of Marshawn Lynch, right, Marshawn Lynch was a rarity in terms of being a three-down back who was not only physical and, and aggressive as a runner, but also was really good. If you go back and look at Russell Wilson's early career, Marshawn Lynch was the ultimate bailout player in terms of catching the ball out the backfield. Well, what you can't get in one Marshawn, you can't get in three different players. And so you get the size and physicality in Zach Charbonnet, who also can catch the ball out the backfield. You get the juice and explosiveness in Kenneth Walker. And you have, like, let I mean, you talked about McIntosh being special out the backfield. You now have given Geno Smith the ability to continue to allow this team to play smash-mouth ball while letting Geno – Play action, check down screens, swings, utilize the entire field. The wide receiver court is terrific. But now these these guys that he has behind him, they never have to change their style. And so the Seattle Seahawks can be more explosive, but equally as efficient while still kind of remaining that ground and pound ball control unit that Pete Carroll wants them to be
0: hundred percent. I think you're right on. And I think the other thing I would add to that is they hit the tackles last year, two starting tackles with Lucas and Cross. They drafted two interior linemen this draft with Oluwetemi and Bradford that could end up being starters. So you could end up having four young offensive linemen. And I do like the fact of offensive line getting to be together for a long period of time. Potentially, this group could be together for a long time. It can be together for a long time. And so right in front of us, DJ,
3: what's
4: crazy? They've done a makeover. They've done a rebuild on the fly while still going to the playoffs when no one thought they could go to the playoffs. And so you look back and you, you well, Pete Carroll and John Snyder are laughing because they were able to pull it off when no one thought that they would be able to move on from Russell Wilson and become a better team. This will This has the potential to be a much better team, not only in 2023, but when you look at 2024, this is when this team really could pop when these guys settle into their roles.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's really a unbelievable turnaround and uh, remaking that entire roster. John Schneider and Pete Carroll, hats off to them, and hopefully Geno can continue to play at the level he's playing at. So you know, we'll see what that looks like going into the future. Um, all right, Buck, that was a fun exercise, man. Anything else you want to add before we uh before we get out of here? No, not is- baseball. Not baseball. You no, can't not, say anything. No, 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 I can't no, take no, any more. Not baseball. Totally, I give myself a week in the hole. It's like just giving yourself a week in the hole. I'm out. Take a oh, break. So you- so you're doing like a little Aaron Rodgers darkness re- retreat from baseball. And I'm doing you a Padre. Back. I'm doing a I'm doing a Padre darkness
4: retreat. You, yes, not, you are. You are. By by Wednesday, you, but you you'll I be am. back. You'll be back tweeting scores and Juan Soto yep. hit like a grand slam, and you you be. I
0: would love it if you would. It would be nice to see, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm giving. I'm firing myself from it. <laughs> a week a week only. We <laughs> watching some premier lacrosse or, or something like that. You know. <laughs> Our buddy, Mark Brady, holding it down over there. Um, uh, all right, man. Well, this has been fun. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this. And I want to congratulate, by the way, before we leave, I do want to congratulate our producer, Nabil because after a long, successful run as a Packer fan, to have uh, have successfully made the transition into a Jets fan, just like that, Buck. I mean, that's hard so, to do. It's hard to take a lifetime of allegiance and just throw it out the window and now all of a sudden become a Jets fan. But it's an impressive feat. I want to congratulate him on that.
4: It is an impressive feat. Somewhere, Vince Lombardi is rolling over in his grave, trying to figure out like what in the world? Like this guy's yeah. a long time go, a longtime Packers fan, and he just has decided to just jump ship with the quarterback. Come on, man! Yeah. It's team to team to team.
0: Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. Just, just, just drifting wherever the wind takes him. That's, that's <laughs> the deal. It's so unbelievable. All right. By the way, congratulations to him on the Bucks. When do they play again, Buck? Do we know? Oh, uh, man. Not, not
4: only that, and then they got the, the coach fired and everything else. Like, it's just, man, tough time. Very tumultuous time up in Wisconsin right now.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Um, all right. That's going to do it for us. Hope you guys have enjoyed this one. Uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks.